This is Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 125, Understanding the Role of Neuroception, Your Built-In Surveillance System. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. I am, as usual, excited to have you here. And we are going to be talking about a really cool topic today. We're going to talk about your internal surveillance system or security scanner, your built-in lie detector, your smoke detector. We are going to talk about something that has been dubbed our autonomic intuition. And really, our intuition is our ability to know something without thinking about it or using facts to understand it or have any proof. But first, I just want to review with you the different sensory systems that the human body has that work together to provide information about the environment and the body's internal state. So the first one is interoception. So this is kind of the sense of the internal stimuli from the body. So it could be something like your hunger, thirst, or pain that you're able to recognize, but it could even be more subtle. Like there's a tightness in your chest, there's butterflies in your stomach, there's tingling in your hands. What is going on inside your body? We'll talk more about this one in a bit. And it's often referred to as your felt sense. Now, the next one is exteroception. So this is a sense of stimuli from the external environment, such as light or sound or touch or temperature. We'll talk a little bit more about that too. Then there's the vestibular sensation, which this is a sensation of movement and orientation in space, including balance and spatial orientation. And then there's proprioception, which is the sense of the body's position and movement in space, which provides information about the location, the orientation, and the movement of the body parts. So these last two are particularly interesting to me. So I have a hearing loss. My hearing is almost completely gone in my right ear. It's a genetic condition. It only really started impacting my everyday life about, I guess, about 10 years ago. But recently, I started to notice my balance seemed to be a bit off. So I decided to go to a vestibular therapist. She did all sorts of testing and concluded that, yes, in fact, my vestibular system was impacted. And therefore, things like balance, I have to rely on other sensory input. So apparently, balance relies heavily on vestibular, vision, and proprioception. So she has me doing these exercises where I have to try to balance and close my eyes because she wants to work on me making my proprioception stronger. Well, the first time I tried it balancing with closing my eyes, it was disastrous. I was falling all over. But then she told me to really feel in my body using interoception. So to really feel my ankles supporting me, feel my feet so flat on the ground, holding me completely up, feel my calves and how the muscles were trying to support me. So it's kind of hard to do, but it really helped as I focused on how my feet and ankles and legs were doing. But what helped me even more was relaxing my body. 
releasing the tension because I felt like I, or I feel when I do these exercises, like I'm falling. And so breathing and really relaxing, I sort of did like the rag doll where I just relax my shoulders. When I am calm and regulated and breathing, I then repeated some affirmations to myself. I can do this. You're okay. You are safe. We'll talk about those in a minute. And it has made such a big difference when I do the exercises because I wanted to share with you how these sensory systems can all work together to help you. Now we have other sensory systems as well. We have gustation, which is the sense of taste. I think that's how you pronounce it. Gustation, gustation. Anyhow, the sense of taste and detecting different flavors, such as sweet or sour, salty or bitter. We have olfaction, which is where you have your sense of smell, detecting the different scents and odors. And we have thermoception, which is the sense of detecting changes in temperature. So the sensory system works together to create a comprehensive representation of the body and its relationship to the environment. And each system provides unique information that all contribute to our understanding of the world, and it helps us coordinate our movement and all our actions. There is one more, and it is something called neuroception. Now, this is a term coined by Stephen Porges, who is the neuroscientist who has put forth the widely popular polyvagal theory, which is a modern theory about the branches of the autonomic nervous system. And we talked about it briefly on episode 116, the seven things I do to anchor myself. So it's another type of sensory process that's related to interoception, proprioception, and exteroception. Now, neuroception refers to the unconscious detection of cues of safety or danger. It's a way of knowing. It's kind of like how our nervous system is listening in on an unconscious level. It's the behind the scenes. Now, it is really our neural circuits. It's an automatic process where our nervous system determines whether situations or people are safe dangerous, or life-threatening, and will subsequently trigger the body's stress response accordingly. Now, a good example of this is if somebody walks like through a dark alley and feels a sense of danger without seeing or hearing anything specific, their body may respond with increased heart rate, shallow breathing, muscle tension. This is because their neuroceptive system has detected subtle cues that suggest a potential threat. Now, the most important thing to note is this is not a conscious thing. This is not a conscious decision that the nervous system is making. It's not a choice. It's not a cognitive process. This is very different from perception because perception involves cognitive thought. Neuroception involves the lower processes that work outside of conscious awareness. They occur very, very quickly without your knowledge. So essentially, your nervous system is constantly scanning for safety, danger, or life threat, constantly taking in sensory information, and it's looking to detect these cues from a few different places. The first place it looks is inside of us, and we already briefly talked about it. That's what we call interoception. So the nervous system is listening to signs of what's going on inside you. It's monitoring all your organs, your cells, the condition of your body. So is your heart pumping faster? Is your breath getting more shallow? Do you have any pain, any discomfort? What's your temperature like? What sensations are you feeling? Do you have tightness in the chest, butterflies in the stomach? Do you have any cramping or dizziness? Any pressure, movement? Is it fast, slow, sharp, dull, foggy? So it's reading all your body cues. 
Now, these cues, these sensory receptors are in your body. And this feedback is delivered via the vagus nerve. So if you remember, we talked a little bit about that in previous episodes as well. If an imbalance is detected, interoception helps you find and adjust and get you back to your set point, homeostasis. It's sort of like your own thermostat that you'll always keep coming back to the same set temperature. Now, some of these processes are unconscious and some are conscious. So the vagus nerve is the feedback loop where this information is communicated. Now, the vagus nerve, if you recall, is a collection of nerves. It starts at the brainstem and then it has different branches. There's one that connects to the facial cranial nerves and the heart, and then one that goes down to all the organs. Now, the vagus nerve is primarily involved in the parasympathetic system, and it's bidirectional which means 80% of the nerve fibers are coming from the body to the brain, so bottom up, and they are sensory. So they deliver all the information about what's happening in the body. And only 20% is top down from the brain to the body. Now, all this information gets processed in a region of the brain called the insula cortex, and that's responsible for processing information related to bodily senses and emotions. Now, the second place where we get our cues is outside of us, what's called exteroception. So this refers to the ability to perceive and process information from the external environment. So what's going on around you? Are you picking up information from your five senses? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you smell? What do you taste? And it sends a message to the brain to process that information. And this allows us to navigate the world that is around us and gather information about our surroundings. Now, the third way that we pick up on cues is between us, relationally. And this, to me, is the coolest one. It's basically picking up on your vibe, your energy, your aura. I refer to it as my spidey senses. But even a little less woo-woo, it's also looking for cues in somebody's gestures, their facial expressions, their posture, their tone of voice, their prosody, and of course, their words. But it's very subtle. I mean, people can obviously look at us very aggressively and it will pick up on that, but it will also pick up on a neutral face or a flat affect or a monotone voice. And there are certain frequencies that resonate better with us. We are always searching for intent and authenticity and acceptance, essentially safety. Now, this neuroception occurs with all humans at all ages, babies to adults. And Dr. Porges says that neuroception is why a baby coos at a caregiver but cries at a stranger, or why a toddler can enjoy a parent's embrace but views a hug from a stranger as threatening. Neuroception explains why we are drawn to certain people. Now, think about being in a crowded room and you're uncomfortable and you search the crowd and then you see a welcoming face. Ah, there's a sigh of relief, safety. Now, I have the funniest story that I want to share with you about this. I have met some of my very dearest friends in very strange ways. I'm not sure if I've shared some of these stories on here yet, but this is a good one. So when I was applying to grad school to be a speech pathologist at McGill University in Montreal, where I was living, they turned me down. Now, I think I've mentioned to you before that I was in banking, so my undergrad was nothing related to speech pathology. And while I had done all my prereqs in psychology and linguistics, McGill said I didn't have enough. 
it was a very competitive program. There are very few speech pathology programs in Canada, actually. So I was devastated, but I wanted to find something. I wanted to find a way to become a speech pathologist. So I found another program at the State University of New York, SUNY, in Plattsburgh. And that was about like an hour to an hour and a half drive from Montreal. Now, they had something that was called a preparatory year. So it was for people who were interested in their speech pathology master's program, but didn't have an undergraduate degree in speech pathology, which apparently at the time you needed in the U.S. So I decided to cash out all my life savings, took out a really big student loan, and did this program. I was hoping that after I did it, I would either get into McGill or SUNY would accept me into their master's program. I decided I would commute back and forth because I was married and I couldn't move and was going to be staying living in Montreal. I ended up going to the school orientation and walked into a very crowded room. Now, don't forget, I'd been working full time a couple of years, so I was a little bit older. I was certainly a city girl. The crowd was definitely younger and Plattsburgh itself is a very small town. I was super nervous. I felt out of place. You could tell like a lot of people knew each other and I knew nobody. So I was looking around the room, totally neurocepting danger, feeling a bit sick. And then my eyes locked with a girl across the room. There was immediate safety, almost like a recognition. We actually made our way to each other. And I found out that she too was from Montreal, was a little bit older, the exact same age as me, and was doing the same speech pathology prep year. Well, we became inseparable, the best of friends. And that's our story of how we met. She is an amazing speech path in Manhattan. So shout out to Anita Curdy. She has her own practice. And we actually just had dinner with her and her husband and her two amazing sons when we were there as a family in New York in January. But it was neuroception that brought us together. So our body is neurocepting all these cues, taking in all this information. And even if on a cognitive level, we may not be aware of danger, our body will start responding if it senses danger. So on a neurophysiological level, our body will start the sequence of events based on whether it's reading safety, danger, or life-threatening. So we don't even have to think we're in danger for our body to respond to danger. So when our nervous system detects safety, all is good. And we enter into that safe zone, that zone of resilience, the safe and social zone. We then start engaging with safety. We are social and we are connected. But if it detects threat, then our metabolic resources will adjust. Our body will adjust. We biologically respond. A warning bell is sounded and a cascade of stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline are released as we enter a sympathetic state. Our heart rate changes, our breath rate changes, digestion's impacted, muscle tone changes. And in turn, it also changes our own ability to read cues, filter background noise, communicate overall, including using our facial expressions. And of course, it impacts our cognitive skills. We don't have as much access to them. Now, if you want to geek out a little bit more on some technicalities, If you remember, the autonomic nervous system is controlled by the survival brain. So that includes the brainstem, which receives sensory input from the body and the environment and sends signals to various organs in the body to regulate their functions. Now, it also includes the amygdala, which is part of the limbic system. And it also plays a crucial role in detecting threats and helping our monkey, as I refer to it, initiate the body's stress response. Now, there are also other parts in the new brain in that prefrontal cortex, the insula, the anterior cingulate cortex. They're also involved in neuroception, 
as they help to regulate emotional response and evaluate the significance of environmental cues. So there are many parts of the brain that are involved in neuroception. And these areas of the brain are picking up on all the cues in the environment, in your body, and then searching for those connections between us. So again, if it detects danger, the first thing it's going to do is mobilize, increase energy, sympathetic. We're going to get into that defensive energy. We're going to go into fight or flight. If it senses life threat, then it may even completely shut down. And as we said earlier, if it senses safety, we'll go into that safe and social zone of resilience. But here's the thing about neuroception. It's not always accurate. So remember how we talked about monkey, that smoke detector in our brain that can go off and will be activated whether it is a five alarm fire or you burn toast. So we get activation whether there's real danger or there's perceived danger. So whether or not the threat is real or perceived, we will respond in the same way. Our amygdala that is sending the fear or danger signals can't tell time either. So it's not checking whether something bad is actually happening or if it's something from the past, whether it's perceived or real, the same alarm is set off. Now that's one reason why it's so important for us to be grounded in the present because it helps us avoid reliving past events that might be distressing if we focus here and now. Another way in which it's not accurate is it's very dependent on what zone we're hanging out in. So remember every zone, whether we're in the zone of resilience on team hyper or team hypo has a very specific physiological pattern. And this pattern serves as kind of a lens from which we see everything. So it's like we're wearing goggles. If I wear team hyper goggles, then everything I see will be tainted red. If I'm wearing team hypo goggles, then everything I wear can be tainted blue, for example. So why it's important to remember this is if you're in team hyper and you're seeing things tainted red, then you will start neurocepting things with that same filter. So let me give you an example. If I am on team hyper and somebody says something to me like, where did you get your hair done? I might be feeling pretty sensitive or defensive and jump to why, what's wrong with it? Versus if I'm on team resilient, I may just answer the name of the place where I got my hair done and think nothing more about it. So we may misread people's cues. We may misunderstand things because we see everything through the lens of that physiological state that we're in. I'm sure you can relate to knowing people who you feel you have to walk on eggshells with. I certainly do. And sometimes I'll avoid bringing things up because I know someone will get defensive. And it really has to do with what zone they are viewing things through and neurocepting things through. And it's also what zone I am in and I will see things through that lens as well. If you are aware that you see things tainted, then you can kind of catch yourself and consciously do things to change. You can even look around and see whether there is something that has changed outside of you, inside of you, or between you. So that's why it's really important to know your own landscape, your own zones, because that's going to impact what you neurocept, but then it can also help you with making changes. Now, one of the reasons I love the concept of neuroception so much is it really shows how it is a neurobiological response you're having. 
Now, in practical terms, it's been so helpful for me in understanding my own behaviors or the behaviors of others. And sometimes I'll act a certain way or I'll think a certain way and I'll get really down on myself like, oh, Leah, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why didn't you not say this? Why didn't you say this? I'll totally beat myself up. And maybe then I'll feel shame for feeling or being a certain way. I'll be like, oh, what's wrong with me? Or when I see other people doing something, I might judge them. Wow, I can't believe they do that or say that or feel that. But when you understand the nervous system and the role of neuroception, it can just become kind of neutral. Oh, interesting. I responded that way. I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what my nervous system is picking up. Or interesting. I could look at their reaction. I wonder what's happening for them. I can also see if someone is being dysregulated. I can have some compassion if I stay regulated. And I can also know that maybe now is not the time to engage with this person if I see that they're dysregulated. So this can be so helpful in relationships. Just having so much more compassion for myself and others, being able to detach and not judge. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Just realizing that my physiology is responding. And if I can then move to take care of my physiology, then my psychology will follow. I can get my brain back on board and start making deliberate and conscious choices. So understanding that's a physiological response, not a psychological choice, can be very empowering. The last thing I want to share is how neuroception is so important to our ability to regulate. So kind of the practical use of it. I know I spent a lot of time in this episode giving you the theory. I wanted to make sure that you have something practical as well. If you have not checked out my 30-second solution to burnout video series, you totally should because I go over these steps in that video series. These three steps I'm about to share, I want you to listen very closely because they are game-changing. And it's helpful because in the video, I go through exactly step-by-step what to do. And there is a link to that 30-second solution to burnout in the show notes. Now, in order for us to regulate our nervous system, a few things have to happen. Firstly, we need to establish safety. So again, our brain is doing this neuroception. It's scanning for safety and danger. What we need to do is establish safety in order to access our zone of resilience. So you're taking in the cues of safety and danger all the time from inside you, your heartbeat, your digestion, from outside you, like the immediate environment, the greater world, and between us, nervous system to nervous system. So essentially, interoception and exteroception are feeding you cues for neuroception. And remember, this is not a conscious thing. We don't have to think we're in danger for our body to react and feel like it's in danger. So neurocepting, you're becoming aware of what your nervous system is doing, how it's reacting. But in order to establish safety, you need to move from your unconscious to your conscious. So how do you do this? Well, you need to ask yourself, am I in real empirical danger right now? Asking and answering this question sends a strong message to your subconscious. We determine that we and our environment are safe, even if our body is beginning to respond to perceived threats on a subconscious levels. So you're asking, am I safe? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Now, if you are not safe, then your nervous system should be responding to the danger cues. But if you are safe, there is no need for it to get activated. Now, Deb Dana, a popular clinician in the area of polyvagal theory, she says, basically, we're asking questions to confirm our safety with this person in this moment 
in this place, do I need to respond the way my nervous system is starting to respond? Is what is happening reflective of this immediate situation right now? Or is it reflective of another time in the past? Is the intensity of this response needed? Is this intensity and response familiar to me? Is this a pattern that I tend to go to? Not just one moment, but is there a pattern? So we're trying to make explicit what we are feeling implicitly. We're trying to make conscious what has already happened unconsciously and decide if it's actually needed. Now, if we establish safety empirically, consciously, in the immediate moment, then we're sending a message from your brain to your body, top down, that you are safe. And you will usually get some relief from that. But it is not enough. Why? Because your body also has a built-in lie detector. So even if your brain is saying, oh, don't worry, you're totally safe. If your body does not feel safe, it's not going to believe your brain. It's going to be like, eh, wrong, you're not safe. So we need to use interoception or what my mentor, Dr. Gentry, often calls bodyfulness instead of mindfulness. We need to employ the process of consciously shifting your attention away from the outside world, so what you're exterocepting, into your body in order to analyze your physical state. Now, don't forget that your brain, when scanning for safety and danger, is automatically responding to what cues it picks up. So if it neurocepts danger, the body is going to respond accordingly. You want to become very fluent with how your body responds or communicates stress to you. Essentially, you're scanning your body for muscle tension. So instead of am I safe, which you've already answered, now you're asking, do I feel safe? You're scanning to find out where you feel that alarm of danger going off. So these two things, identifying where in your body you feel the alarm and then checking to ensure that you're safe and then letting the body know it's safe is so important. Now, when you're safe, and you've located any tension or discomfort, the third step is you need to get into your body and comfort and love your body. You need to acutely relax. You need to invoke a relaxation response. The body and the brain need to be aligned. They both need to feel safe. And then you will be able to relax your body. So I just wanted to share with you today what neuroception is, why it's important, and how we use it in our everyday lives in regulating our nervous system. The three-step process I just shared with you is something that you'll need to run through hundreds of times a day. And you can either do the neuroception piece, am I safe, or the interoception piece, do I feel safe? You can do either one first and the other one second. Sometimes we feel our sensations in our body first, that tension, that physical discomfort, that malaise that tells us something's off, so that neuroception. Or sometimes we have that gut feeling, that intuition, that overall vibe, the neuroception first. And then the other one comes in, back and forth. We need to do both before proceeding to get to relaxation through the self-regulation techniques that work best for you. And you can learn all about this in my 30-second solution to burnout video, which is linked in the show notes. So that is what I have for you today. And don't forget, if you are enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, then please make sure that you go and leave a review. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. 
If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.